Hey guys, it's Graham. I have some very, very bad news. Uh, The opening of our podcast is missing. This is our final episode in our horror series due to Halloween, which I know was a month ago. Uh, We cover Friday the 13th Part 4. I don't know what happened. It's the audio is just not there, so I'm kind of baffled by it. There were a lot of technical issues while we were recording this. Um, It shouldn't impact your enjoyment, but we had a very long discussion uh, after the film, uh, so that should make up for it. Uh, yeah, I apologize, and, um, here it's it is. to watch a movie you've never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine. But there'll be smiles, and there'll be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 800 years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video with Phil and Kit and Lillian and Graham. chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry, you change your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the car scroll? He simply, mindlessly, mercilessly, Kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason's unlucky day. Yeah, totally. I mean, Avatar was just a waste of $400 billion. Yeah, seriously. John Wick 1 and 2, way better than Avatar. Way better than Terminator. I actually, yeah, I do legitimately like them better than Terminator 2. Ha! What? Yeah, I'm not a Terminator 2. The Terminator 2 falls apart after the after the, the, the river chase. I, I, I am a, sort of in agreement with this. I really think that most people mm-hmm. have nostalgia for Terminator 2 yep. because that was a big film when we were kids. Mm-hmm. If you watch it again, it, it totally, like, after the first 20 minutes, it's just a slog. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Terminator 1, though, great. I love Terminator 1. Terminator 2 has too many acts. Like it does, most yeah. James Cameron movies. Mm-hmm. 
he really should get someone to write his movies for him and not just yeah. rip off their stories from other writers and then call them his own. Oh, uh, yeah, it's just kind of preposterous for, like, the Terminator, like, learns emotions. Oh, I now God. know why you cry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Robert Patrick, am I right? Yeah, Robert yeah. Patrick was great. If Robert Patrick was like the star of that movie, it would have been way better. Um, okay, so we just finished watching the... the uh, I don't even have, know a good pronoun for this. Uh, no, uh, an adverb, an adjective. Um, the great, great Friday the 13th part for the final chapter. Um, which... Or as I'm, Donald Trump might call it, the very, very great. The very, very great? He doesn't have a very good vocabulary. No, he doesn't. No. He says very, very great. He says sad, and he says um, tremendous. You can say tremendous. Yeah. Huge, great people, great guys, great, great, great people. guys. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, enough about the orange one. He has cotton candy for a brain. I mean, mm -hmm. it's gotta, it's gotta suck. I just feel that like he's the guy Believe that that me. hears the <laughs> that hears the song. If I only had a brain from the Wizard of Oz and cries. <laughs> We're always political on this show. Steve Harper be damned. Um, okay, so Friday the 13th part for the final chapter. Who wants to start it off? So where does this film start? It's a big flashback montage. Of one, two, and three. Yeah, it's a whole, uh, like, a, like mm -hmm. a TV show that you might watch on, um, not, not on Netflix. They don't really do the previously ons, but on HBO. But it uh, starts with a previously on cold open. Mm -hmm. Which you actually Previously said, on Friday the 13th. Yeah. And uh, it, the interesting thing is that the narration over the intro was actually from Friday the 13th Part 2, not yeah, Part where 3. Sitting around the campfire and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And where they kind of sum up that, like, Jason's mother went on a killing spree. Bring up three uh, near the end in the bar scene. Uh, barn scene. The, the voiceover doesn't, but yeah. it kind of. The, the voiceover, visual images. Yeah. They, they they basically pulled the uh, the campfire scene from part two and placed it all over um, parts one, two, and three. Kit, grab the mic before Phil falls asleep. Sorry, oh, I just, oh, hey, well, Phil hey. was falling asleep and I just saw the mic go lower and lower and lower and I was just like, grab it before it hits the ground. Um, <laughs> Phil is. I stayed, I stayed awake for the movie. Yay! Barely. You were nodding off there for like half we, a second. We were about to take a selfie a couple times, to be honest. He was resting his eyes. He was resting well, his was eyes. Resting guys. my eyes. He snapped in and out real swiftly. Yeah. How can you get bored and fall asleep with Friday the 13th? I wasn't part four? bored. Okay. The man day. works a job. Mm -hmm. So then we are taken to the 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 uh, infamous barn from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, where a very we think dead Jason is picked up by a bunch of ambulance workers, and one ambulance worker even complains like, "Okay, what are we doing? Where are we going?" And it's like, "Well, they're all in there, and they're all dead." Well, some emergency this turned out to be. And it's like he killed seven kids and three bikers in one night after killing off like eight kids the night before. Uh, we should point out that this film technically is not a Friday the Thirteenth; it is a Sunday the Fifteenth. Because wait, wait. Mm -hmm. So uh, w his mother dies. Yeah. But when um, the little thing comes out of the lake and grabs that that woman, the, uh, yep, the, the scare, the the jump scare, mm -hmm. it's it's a child still. Yes. So okay, let's break it down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Friday the Thirteenth timeline. Like so, I've read, I've like seen them online where they write out, and it actually goes up right up until now. So Friday the Thirteenth Part One, the mother is the killer. Pamela Voorhees, who we see her gravestone in this film. R.I.P. Pamela Voorhees. And even though the film came out in, um... Right? Yeah. Right? Right. Her, off her offspring still haunt our little, uh, our rest. little store. At rest. I hope so. I hope not. You know what? It's kind of good that Graham hates her because that'll cause her to come back, uh, and visit us. On, on, yeah, like to some sort of lightning storm. get on Graham's nerves and yeah. stuff. 
We did bury her out back. It was a nice service. Yeah, really, right and you had some very beautiful words. <laughs> Damned was... if I remember them, but okay. <laughs> well, we were all drinking a lot that day. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was, that was a whiskey day. Um, yeah, we buried her right beside Highway 9, just uh, just uh, north of Highway 7. Um, uh, Pamela Voorhees <laughs> is the raccoon that used to haunt this uh, video store, the abandoned video mm-hmm. store, for all our first-time listeners. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Graham may or may not have made... Tacos, was it out of them? Out of her? Trash he, uh, Panda Tacos. That's going to be my next big. Like, I'm going to start a restaurant chain. He, I'm going to get myself joked. a food truck. It's going to be awesome. You guys all chat them down pretty easily, he, though. He joked that he fed us Pamela Voorhees tacos, but I'm not sure it was a joke. We're so, jury still out. Anyway. The body was kind of small <laughs> when we buried it. Okay, so Friday the 13th, part four. <laughs> we, uh, we get to the morgue where the ambulances have dropped off the bodies. And uh, one very handsy and, let's say, uh, amorous morgue assistant is, uh, you know, trying to, uh, to, to chat up a, a lovely nurse that is uh, with him. And, of course, this being 1984, she is wearing the classical nurse outfit that no nurse has once worn since 1951. And uh, they Cap included. Cap included. And uh, she comes over to watch the news with him, and uh, he's trying to watch Aerobicize, which, uh, Phil, you looked at some facts on Aerobicize. What were they? Oh, it was Kit. Kit. Uh, pulling up the webpage now, sir. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Yep. So time. Fill some time. Fill some time. So uh, she wants to watch the news, so she switched over to the news where we see that the Crystal Lake murders have finally come to an end, and that the killer is actually deceased, and he points out, that's this guy right behind us. Okay, so here's the trivia. Uh, the workout video Axel watches is a robot size yep. from 1982. It stars Darcy DeMoss, who went on to have a role in Jason Lives Friday the 13th Part 6. Yeah, Part 6 is a good one. Who did you play in Part, part 6? It doesn't say in doesn't this little trivia. Okay. I guess we'll have to find that out when we watch Part 6 next week. Just kidding. Um, um, yeah, so anyways... Oh, they th- already made 6? Like, they, they... And 5, too? I thought this was the final chapter. I, I love how Lillian's still going. Lillian, that. Lillian made like Lillian. This is yes. This is why you gotta love Lillian because she's maintaining kayfabe. Kayfabe, of course, is the wrestling term for uh, for maintaining the illusion of reality. So, what do they call it in acting, where you keep the uh, hold the not breaking character? Yeah, thank you. Continuity. Mm-hmm. Oh, this film was released on a Friday the 13th, April 13th, 1984. Yeah, yeah they did that well for all Pretty much for all of well them. Done. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, they were actually trying to get one out this year, but they abandoned it due to not getting a good script they liked. Although they wrote a really awesome Friday the 13th script um, that I read uh, earlier in the year. That was set in 1988. It was actually such a good script. Like, there's no murder or any horror for the first hour of the script. And you're just reading it being like, I like these kids. I want to see this guy, like, fall in love and get laid. And I, want, I hope they, like, you know, you know, all achieve their dreams and goals. And then, you know, Jason shows up and just kills the hell out of them. Cool. Um, but, uh, so anyways, Jason, uh, the nurse gets spooked when Jason's hand falls over. Uh, we should say that Axel, the Morgan attendant and the nurse are kind of an item and they do start making out a little bit but the nurse like freaks out and leaves and axel is just like what does he say sweet christmas chicken shit jumping oh, Graham, you're skipping over why the nurse gets spooked no no i said it because because jason's hand falls off the gurney and like touches her the hus the hus took us yiddish for buttocks i think isn't that tukish? Tukush. 
She was saying that, Duchess, right? Duchess. Oh, you're you're saying it even yeah. more like. Uncle, you gotta like like you got a popcorn yeah, stuff that you have to roll. Uh, yeah. <laughs> phonetics. Um, so sorry guys, we had another technical issue, as is per usual with this podcast. So we were just discussing what Axel, the uh, the friendly handsy morgue oh, yeah. attendant, was saying after um, the nurse got spooked by Jason's hand. I, I uh, believe you. Out. I believe you got it, but I'm not sure if the tape was got it. it. Sweet I think Jesus su- jumping chicken shit. Su- no, no. Sweet, sweet Christmas. Sweet, sweet jumping Jesus Christmas shit. Oh yeah, sweet jumping Jesus <laughs> Christmas shit. John Jangle, Jimmer Heinersmith. His name is my name too. Whenever we go out, we hear the people spout. There goes John Jangle. Chip, chip, chip. I can't sing this song right now. Sweet jumping Jesus Christmas shit. Uh, my favorite, my favorite Christmas song. Um, so, anyways, we've barely gotten past scene two in this movie. Um, Got to mention the uh, the Aces continuity that they used. When, oh yeah. Um, uh, for his mask, mm-hmm. when they you see all the damage ha- that has happened to him, there is the actually title sequence shows after the cold open, and we mm-hmm. see how he he died in the third one, died which he gets unquote. an axe to the head, but then that doesn't really last. But you see the axe mm-hmm. wound in the hockey mask. I thought that yeah. was neat. I'm yeah, they do. They um the, the 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 movie is the whole series is good about maintaining mask continuity. Like every damage that happens to the mask kind of carries over to the next film, except for part eight when. He just gets a new mask because in part seven his mask was destroyed because the psychic girl shrunk it against his face and it and popped open. I also, I love how Jason is such like, I don't know what I want to, such a, like he, he finally finds the hockey mask and he's like, that's my identity. Yeah. That's what I'm going with now. This it's like overhead thing is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. He cares about his image. Mm-hmm. Well, he cares about continuity. It's like, he <laughs> makes sure that no matter where he is, he has a hockey mask. He's like, that's the, and like. It's such a weird thing to think of, too, that a hockey mask became his mask. And that came from Part 3, where the special effects team on Part 3 were Canadian. So they were just like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if he puts on a hockey mask? And there he... was a Canadian in this one, too, wasn't there? Remember the chick, uh, the hitchhiking for a ride with the sign, Canada? Oh, yeah. She said, yeah, she was trying to get to Canada. I mean, it, it is set in technically uh, New York State, I guess, is where... Close it... enough to the Canadian border. Yeah, fairly close. It's Crystal Lake still, right? Yeah, Crystal Lake. Um... Camp country. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyways, uh, our good old buddy Morgan and Axel goes back to watching Robosize, uh, which is one of those programs from the 1980s that were, was, how do I put this? Were purchased by men than women. Well, they were aired on like local TV, like either mid-afternoon or late at night, late night yeah. and featured very uh, attractive women in leotards uh, performing aerobics, um, but it was mostly watched by men, not by women. I'll let our audience put that together, how that works. You give the benefit of the doubt. It was a, it was in a certain era of... Um, mm-hmm. Of television, yeah. No, no, I meant, you know, um, for... Aerobics? Societal... Aerobics was being Societal standards. Societal expectations. and yeah. Go back to sleep, Phil. So back to Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Um, as Axel is watching this aerobicized video, Jason wakes up um, and just shoves a knife right through his neck. Uh, no, it's a, a medical hacksaw that he uses to uh, cut halfway it's through a his very neck. Prolonged. <laughs> prolonged murder. And then he snaps his neck while he's, he's cutting him. I know. Him, yeah. He's twists that neck right around too. Jason it's pretty gruesome. Voorhees is the definition of adding insult to injury, where it's just like I'm not gonna just kill you. I'm gonna kill you and make it hurt. 
Um, and then he goes and kills. That guy was mocking him a little, right? Like, there you go. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was like, oh yeah, like watching. He was like, oh, that's that guy right back here. Oh, you're famous. And then he, even like when he, the when Jason's body is first brought into the morgue, he puts like a donut that he's eating on Jason's corpse. Like, eh, I got nowhere else to put we, this. We actually remember this from um, Friday the, the Ninth. Uh, Jason goes to hell. Remember oh, the yeah. uh, the orderlies are like making fun of him, like, mm -hmm. uh, and then. Yeah. Jason does not like Another reason I don't like that movie is because that movie, like, spent a good 15 minutes on that. Whereas this movie, it's just one guy being like, hey, that's that guy. And moves on fast. Like, this movie is lean, mean. It's a it's a horror movie it machine. Well. It doesn't well. He no. gets over his shit by uh, continuing. Yeah, it's yeah. really mean. I love it, though. I mean, yeah, it's like, but I assume dude did The Prowler, and that's a really mean yeah. movie as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um... So then Jason kills the nurse uh, very quickly, and then he starts making his way back to Crystal Lake. And that's where we meet our protagonists, the family of three, the mom, whose name I can't remember, the elder sister, the teenage sister, Trish. Can I just say a scene I remembered? Mike, Mike's, Mike's pretty mean, too. Remember when he pumped the, the, the heat in that jacuzzi and that nurse, when those two, when those two... Michael Myers, Halloween yeah, Halloween Part 2. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. was mean, yeah. Michael Myers. Well, here's the thing. Michael Jeez. Myers, not a nice guy. Thanks, Will. <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither is Mike Myers. No, I was going to say that Jason Voorhees is more of a blunt instrument, whereas Michael Myers is just an evil bastard. Two, two coins, two sides of one the same coin. Yeah, although mm -hmm. if there was a fight, I'd refer to... Jason has, like... Here's the thing. Michael Myers, as a child, was a murderer. Jason became a murderer. Jason was bullied and picked on because he was slightly uh, physically and mentally uh, handicapped. And uh, then upon uh, reuniting with his mother briefly, he sees her be decapitated. So he's, he... But also she was pretty evil, wasn't she? Well, she was just responding to his, his uh, apparent death because like she assumed he had drowned uh, when the, the counselors at the camp hadn't uh, been taking care of him. They, like they were smoking pot right, and like having right. sex. Yeah. That's right, yes. She's she's yeah. a psychopath, she blamed, obviously. She but. blamed the the counselors and stuff for not taking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah, Jason is like, you know, if there was a fight between Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, I'm I'm on the Jason side. Not that there's a contest. I just remember that scene too, and you guys are going on about how uh, they really should do a, a Michael versus Jason yeah. versus. It'd be Freddy. a very quiet movie if it was just Michael versus Jason. Versus yeah, Freddy. no, no versus dialogue. Fre yeah. Versus Freddy would be like. Freddy was just cracking the punchlines. Yeah. No, they, they, the they already one. did Freddy versus... would that be, though, guys? Can you just imagine for a minute? It's pretty badass. They already did Freddy versus Jason, and, and it was okay. Like, let's leave it at that. Um, versus Chucky versus... Versus Hellraiser. Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead. Pumpkin <laughs> that guy Pumpkin from the Stepfather. Pumpkinhead versus Pinhead, yeah. And uh, who else knew this? The guy from Scream. Um, I know what you did with Summer. The, the yeah, guy the, from Scream. The fisherman, Ghost I face. think. Ghostface from Scream, the Fisherman from I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> Who else can we throw in there? Are you kidding me right now? They did those battles already? The no, crocodile no, 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 no. from Lake Placid. The crocodile from, <laughs> or, sorry, the alligator from Alligator. Or, um... Ja the shark from Jaws, part four, The Revenge. Yes. As I, discovered, <laughs> as I discovered when I looked this film up on IMDb, mm -hmm. there are a few films with the subtitle The Final Chapter. Yeah. And they include um, Friday the 13th, Final Chapter. Um, Saw 3D. Saw 3D, the final chapter. And then also Lake Placid, the final chapter. And was None there also a Resident Evil, the final chapter? Yeah, Resident Evil also had a final chapter on it. 
Resident Evil. And dead. it's all lies, folks. Yeah. Those movies are bad. Um, anyways. Except for Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. Yeah, as we know, they never made another one of those. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, back to this movie. Because um, it's so good. Uh, Jason just starts killing his way back to Crystal Lake. He kills a uh, He kills a hitchhiker. the hitchhiker. Oh, we meet the family, which is Trish, the older daughter, the mom, and the little boy Tommy, Tommy Jarvis, played by... Corey Feldman, the Feld Dog, who's um, introduced wearing the the bad, most badass uh, mask, alien always mask playing I've ever Atari, seen. yeah. Um, and their dog Gordon. Gordon, so, I love Canadian. how Gordon. I love how Gordon like. There's at the end of the movie, as like everything's ramping up, Gordon like jumps out a window and then is never seen again. He gets the, he he gets got the fuck out, out of there. Dodge, yeah. He's like stuff is. I can smell how bad this is gonna like get. When you first see him, you're like, oh no, Gordon, you're gonna I, get chopped up some. To be fair, way. I think Jason smells pretty bad. Yeah, he's been living in the oh, woods must, for 25 years. Yeah, he definitely I was super bad. worried about Gordon. I was super glad that he got out of there. Yeah, he, he was like he jumped through a window <laughs> and was just gone for the rest of the movie. Um, so good boy, good boy. So and then we hear that there are six teens that are uh, not 16, but six the number teens the age that are renting out the cottage across from I, the I Jarvis family. I contest that these are people in their early 20s. They but could it be in their early 20s. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we don't know. It's always that way. Anyway, Crispin Glover is amongst them. Crispin Glover is amazing in this oh, film. Oh, and uh, what, did, what did you say? Chris, Crispin, Crispin Glover camping, shirt buttoned up to the neck, sleeves rolled, yeah. sleeves rolled Unrolled. down, arms Unrolled. folded. Yeah. Shirt tucked in, of course, with no belts. <laughs> no belt on the jeans. Blue jeans, no belt, shirt buttoned up all the way to the collar. He spells F-U-N, folks, F-U-N. I know, he is just... Oh. He had a Nicolas Cage moment. Oh, with the wine. Hey, come on, Ted. Where's the wine? Um, Where's the wine opener? He also dances amazingly. Let me see what his character's name is. His character's name, oh, it's Jimmy. Well, who they call Jimbo. Because Jimbo is like trying to get laid. Um, They call him dead fuck, actually. That's what his best friend Ted calls him. Um, on his imaginary computer, there are like, there's two couples. He gets, he calls him Yeah, Jimbo's mm. friend is basically like the proto like Ken Marino of like Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, totally, and uh, his name is Ted, who he calls yeah, Teddy Bear. Um, one of the the dudes, his name is Doug. Uh, there's a girl named Samantha, uh, another girl named Sarah, and what's, what's the other dude's name? Paul. I don't know. Anyways, and they they are there to party down, and they meet up with Gordon and Tommy and Trish, and they invite Trish along. And Trish is like, great, finally there's some other teens to hang out with other than my mom and my little brother. Um, And then they go swimming, and they meet twins. Uh, The twins' names are... Tina and Terry. There's a lot of alliteration in this name, too. Sure, you remember the girls' names, not the guys' names. Okay, Graham. Sorry, Lillian. (laughs) Just kidding. I just remember it because it's alliterative. No, you mentioned T and T and S and S. Yep. The girls, so the two friends that co- rent out of the cottage are Sarah and Samantha, and the two twin teens that are met are Tina and Terry. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the character of Ted and Crispin Glover's character are very smitten by the twins, but so is one of the lads. Luke, I think his name is, who is dating Sam. The Yeah, the the, the nice guy. He's not a nice guy. Well, the other guy's a nice guy. He's the other guy. Like no, because that's the guy that like winds up uh, ditching oh, his girlfriend. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, there's a lot of there's teens too many, in this movie. Too many, too many sexy teens. teens. Yeah, too many sexy teens. 
Um, and his kid said, "One sexy family." <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Twin, the twins also wear matching uh, clothes constantly. Yeah. Uh, shirts and uh, white khakis. Yeah, that's when at the par- at their party they wear pastel shir- yeah. shirts and white khakis with belts. Um, and so this is Crispin Glover's time to shine. He puts on a track that is actually. So the interesting thing I read some trivia. I was right here. I got to memorize though. So that dance is based on how Crispin Glover would actually dance in a club, and the backing track to that song is ACDC, which was originally played on set, back but it's in actually black. Back, back in black. black. But it was replaced on the soundtrack by Love is a Lie, I think is the name of the song. Because I guess uh, the Lion Love is a Lie song was a little cheaper to afford. Lion also famously did the theme song to the Transformers movie. Uh, That's off the top of my head, folks. I'm not even looking at some paper right now. Orson Welles' final film. Orson Welles' final film. Uh, (laughs) This film is, you know... Friday the 13th Part 4. Uh, I'd definitely say it's as, as good as Touch of Evil, if not better. Um, I'm going to hell for that one. Um, <laughs> so, says who? Says who, Graham? Yeah, and so anyways, as uh, Trish and Tommy are out, and also the, 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 the Jarvis family names are all alliterated too, Trish and Tommy. They really were just like, how can we, like, Okay, what's the daughter's name? Trish. Okay, let's let's find out a boy's name in the same letter T. Tommy. Good. We don't remember the mom's name. It, she's actually her, her character is Mrs. Uh, Jarvis. Oh. Okay. We don't remember what happened to her. She saw a bird and ran off. That's as oh, much ah! as we can guess. Oh, right. No, there was a. She goes she out. She shrieked in the woods. Yeah. The middle of the killing. She goes out and she's in the rain and it's the middle of the night and all of a sudden she sees something and she screams the last we see of her. Mm-hmm. We c- joked it's, maybe it's a bird, but it we was We can Jason. imagine she saw a bird and just ran off, and she's fine. So anyways, that night, the teens across the lake have a party at their house, and they invite Trish, but Trish doesn't make it. Jason! The Trish also runs into a handsome woodsman who is ostensibly hunting bears, and I put that in quotation marks, but he's really hunting Jason because his sister was killed although it makes it seem like his sister was killed like a year ago but in the the timeline of the movie it was like two days ago by Jason and he heard that Jason escaped from the morgue or his body disappeared that and, same character shows up in the remake yeah that's very yeah. true that, that kind of character shows up yeah he's saying he's because he, his, his sister was murdered by Jason mm-hmm. or something like that or kidnapped kidnapped around, yeah doesn't he like who's, give, who's giving him this info I know, it's before the internet, so he just kind of like, moly he kind of just knows, like, hey, if I go to Crystal Lake and I camp out with a machete. I didn't even know his sister was murdered by Jason because they released all that information to the families. Yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. But he, even quicker is his, his, like, revenge turnaround time. Like, he arms himself, goes out into the woods, and gets a tent, and camps out in the area where Jason was active, like, two days after her body is found. So, he was quick on the draw on that one. Um, and then that night, there's the party at the, the teens' cabin where uh, Jimbo, played by Chris Glover, hooks up with one of the teens. One um, of the twins. The twins, sorry. One of the twins. And then... Terry uh, or... Terry or Tina. We don't know. Sam, the uh, who's known as a promiscuous girl. Um, and Although Sarah, we learned that that reputation that, yeah, is a little... Yeah. Yeah. See, here's the thing. This film lives up to a lot of stereotypes, but it also breaks a lot of stereotypes. Yes. Because at a certain point, Sarah is talking to uh, to Sam about it, and she's like well, you've been with lots of guys. And she says, that's just what guys say. The truth is, I've only been with my boyfriend. And she re- and that's when Sarah realizes, realizes, like, hey, just because someone has a reputation, it doesn't mean it's true. And Important lesson for uh, for Trish. And Sarah, no, Sarah. Sarah. And Sarah is very much in love with her boyfriend, 
who they've decided to spend the night together in the bottom bunk of their uh, their He's bunk the beds. nice guy. He's the yeah. nice guy. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that sings songs about her in the shower. Boyfriend? I thought they were just getting like their friends kind of set them up. No, no, they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but they'd never been they'd in the never same bunk together. Done it if you get my drift. <laughs> that was very I subtle, I thought they Graham. were just getting set up, and they were kind of like going along with it. They're saving themselves for special I, moments. I have, I have a. I totally missed that. Sorry. I have a feeling that they were like the goody two shoes couple, and he's like, "Hey, I don't want to pressure into anything," but she's thinking, "Yeah, it's time to, you know, lay some pipe." Um, Jesus Christ! What? <laughs> lay some pipe. Graham with his subtle metaphors. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to go in there, do some plumbing work, and. Make sure it's all... There's just the plumbing montage in the movie, and... um, I'm pretty sure he was a plumber, though. He was studying plumbing at university. I was going to say hence the shorts, but that was not him. That was not him. That was was, uh, the the boyfriend of Sam with the very short cut-off jean jorts. Which which we all agreed must be chafing him. He's chafing him hard. There's some gratuitous use of plumber crack in this movie. And how did he die, Phil? In the water. No, short shorts guy. Short shorts. Oh, oh yeah. He got shot in the dick with a with a, a, a harpoon gun. Yeah. yeah. Harpoon, yeah. And and Kit, what did you say? It's not what? gonna be shaping no more. It won't won't be shaping <laughs> him anymore. No more. So Sam, his girlfriend, he had been flirting with one of the teens and decided to dance with her. And his girlfriend got very upset. Sam and stormed off. She went swimming, night she, swimming. She went night swimming, and I started singing REM's "Night Swimming" to no one's applause because <laughs> none of us knew that song existed. For us, and then I laughed very heartily. We thought you were singing the the story Night of Friday Thirteenth That's gonna be another audio cue. Um, so that's that's actually just more work for me because I edit these podcasts. Yeah. Oh my god, this is gonna be a seven-hour ep- edit on the job on this one. It's a pay up royalties to Ministry and REM and yeah. No 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 no, no. fair use. Fair use. We don't fair, sell, use, fair use. We, we actually don't sell anything, or do we have advertisers yet? Please buy REM and Ministries catalog on iTunes. Yep, or you can go to Amazon.com or check out your local record store. <laughs> I would say check out HMV, but they're not around anymore. Sunrise Records, if you are in the greater Ontario area, please go and check out a Sunrise Records location close to you. They still exist for now. Yep. Don't buy Lions catalog anywhere. Just pirate that shit. No, Lions <laughs> great. Love is a lie is great. Kit's gone off to the great beyond now to uh, to make a deposit. And we're back. Sorry about that. That was another break. Uh, we had a little bit of feedback that I wanted to take care of. Um, so um, the teens are, like, getting it on. Um, Trish and the woodsman have, like, kind of, like, bonded a little bit. She actually goes at this. All except Teddy. Teddy gets yeah. it on with no one. 
Teddy's also like the hardest going too. Like he's the one that like jumps on a twin and like sticks his tongue down her throat, and she's like, "Hey, no." Um, he's a little too grabby. He reminds me of a guy I once saw on the subway. He also um, finds what a sixteen millimeter like turn of the century porno. Uh, it was more of a yeah something like that. It was like very. It was definitely like eighteen ninety eight. 1898's hottest film um, that he finds on 16mm in this random cottage that they've rented and they have a projector and a screen and watch it. That's when all the other characters kind of slink away. We see our good couple of, of Sarah and her boyfriend go to the shower where they indulge in their carnal desires and um, Kit pointed out very quickly, hey, but that's a body double. Um, well, just because you couldn't see your face with the, with with, the butt. With the, like, with the butt you, there yeah. was no pan up. Right? First giveaway. First giveaway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then, like before she gets out of the shower, she, she pulls towels. the yeah. She towels. She towels, she towels inside. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. That's that's thing. how you know. Mm-hmm. See, Lily, you're learning new things every day. Oh, I'm not learning. I just it, I, I just didn't think about it. I don't know. And we're back. Hey. So. Hey. Um, <laughs> that was a good edit. I told I miss Lily and Snort. I'm very upset. I wanted to hear that on the. Recording. Oh, we're we're having a. <laughs> that's the thing about Friday the Thirteenth films. The they are so fun, and we're having a great time talking about it. So then, Jason descends upon the house full of teens. He dispatches first of Sam, then it, then Sam's boyfriend when he comes out. So Sam, uh, skinny dips, all sad, out to a uh, dinghy floating in the lake. She's like, hmm, my boyfriend's not coming out. And then she hears something, thinks it's him. He's busy dancing with one of the twins. Dancing with one of the twins, and then Jason stabs her through the dinghy, all the way up in a very gory death scene as the as his blade plunges through her abdomen. He like grabs her face, yeah, and then no, grabs her shoulder, and, and then, then stabs her, and then the boyfriend has a moment of like, hey, I shouldn't be doing this. I've got a great girl. Why am I like throwing it all away for this twin that I don't even know? Two minutes too late, right? Yeah, he could have saved her. He could, yeah, if he had just gone out there. It or been they would have died together. I don't know. It would have been, been more romantic more that lovely. way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So anyways, he goes out there and then goes out, sees her float, her dead corpse floating in the dinghy and decides, hey, I'm going to go out there. That's when he, like, goes into the water and that's when Jason shoots him in the penile area with a, uh, a... First, you're like, oh, what is that, a spear? And then all of a sudden he shoots it and you realize it's a harpoon gun. We were all imagining what Freddy Krueger's mm-hmm. uh, crew joke would have been at this yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Prick oh. would have been one of the words. Yeah. Yes. What was the, I bet you feel a little prick, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't gonna chafe no more, are you, boy? Oh, they missed so much by not having mm-hmm. uh, Jason speak. Little, yeah, this is actually before um, four or five the thirteen. Or sorry, before Nightmare on Elm Street, because Nightmare on Elm Street was eighty-five. This movie was eighty-four. Does Does Jason ever uh, utter any words? No, he in the earlier in I think three and two he kind of goes Ugh! when he gets hurt, <laughs> but that's about it. He's an introvert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's such an artiste, though. I know the way he positions bodies, like he takes his time. The way he positions bodies, the way well, he he, he, somehow, he, right? he targets the teens in a particular order, the way he waits for the mm-hmm. perfect moment to stab them. That's through true. The neck. He he waits until so so Teddy. How he dies is the uh, the sixteen millimeter uh, turn of the century uh, erotic film ends, and he goes up to the screen, being like, "Oh, it's over," and then he turns around to look back at the. Projector, and that's when Jason stabs him. I, I want to see like a, a behind the scenes, quote unquote, of behind Jason, the like, scenes, play, like staging the bodies, tiptoeing around and like rubbing his hands together. And, like, <laughs> the bloopers, yeah. <laughs> You're a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Grinch. <laughs> like, like the peen shooting scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the He's peen like, shooting scene. 
yeah as it's known in film lore mm-hmm. yes yeah i know i think i've uh, sat through many a university lecture on that um, <laughs> on peen shooting yeah um and it's use in cinema yep it's funny it's in- implications it's implications that's correct mm-hmm. it's subtext yes is it feminist or anti-feminist <laughs> let's listen um so so basically, uh, the teens all bite it. The, the, the boyfriend, the nice guy boyfriend of, of Sarah is singing in the shower like her, a song about her, like, oh, Sarah, you came. Something to the tune of Oh, Mandy. Um, and then... And you found me a turkey <laughs> on my vacation. No away from worky. That's the Simpsons song. Oh, Margie. <laughs> Aww. Amazing callback, Lillian. <laughs> oh my that god, moment. that was good. Um, so then, as Jason enters the bathroom, uh, all of a sudden the boyfriend just starts making all these like weird comments about like, "Oh, Teddy, well, I guess I'm gonna drop my soap in the shower. I think you know what that means." And Jason is just like, "I am having none of this. No, none of this homophobic <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, uh, banter." Like, like, "Hey, man, I'm a serial killer, but you're a homophobe." I, and so he smashes his hand through the glass of the shower door and crushes the boyfriend's skull into the the uh, the tile. The wall. shower tiles, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's quite the look of. Quite, he, he becomes one with the shower tiles. That's true. His brain matter fuses. It's very zen-like in a way. But uh, yeah, that Jason was kind of Jason is the funny. worst yoga teacher ever. Because Jason was like, I've had enough of your <laughs> had enough fucking of your... sophomoric <laughs> stand-up yeah. shit. Yeah, as a stand-up comedian, you are not funny. I was going to um, let you live. Yeah. And then, of course, his girlfriend comes and sees the body. And, oh, my God. And he kills her. He gets She gets an axe through the chest. The best one, I think, has got to be... Oh, yeah is when uh, Crispin Glover's calling out like, I just got laid. It was so good. And now I'm going to crack open this bottle of wine. I oh, you forgot after after he gets laid, he's all like... Oh, right. What was there's, I... He's all like... There's a big retractor scene. All nervous, all tentative. He's so like... It's, it's him My and the... My friends call me a dead fuck. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. His, so he's lying there with the twin and like they're having like a, a post-coital like, you know, a little drowsiness. As yeah, her do. head's on his chest. It's very sweet. And he's breathing. like, so, Satina, so am I... Am I... What I mean what? is, Emily? Was I a, 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 a dead f- <laughs> And her response was, no, you were incredible. He's so oh. jazzed about this that he gets out of bed no, immediately. And then, and no, but first she says, so, so, so do you, no, wait, wait. She says, do you want to do it again? And he says, yeah. And then... He, he bounds out of bed to go get her some wine and he goes downstairs and tells Teddy like I did it and it was great he brings down her panties yeah, and everything he's like, like, why don't you put this through your old computer Ted um, and then Ted's bring, like bring her panties but here's yeah. the thing Ted isn't like a jerk about the whole situation and be like oh I bet you just stole these he's like dude that's awesome good for you pal like, like you did it you accomplished your goal that you set out to do this weekend and uh, and so he's like let's get some wine to celebrate you know I kind of felt like he was going to call the local paper and make a press release. I um, <laughs> say, I was good. I was good all the way to the kitchen. He was excited. And then, Crispin Glover seizes panties. Yeah, and then... And then I Crispin, think that is actually where mm-hmm. Crispin Glover lost his virginity in real life, too. In that, on Friday the 13th, part four, the, the final chapter. Um, so then Crispin Glover goes to the to the kitchen. He gets the bottle of wine, and he's like, Hey, Ted, where's that, that wine opener? You know, the fancy one that we used earlier. 
Where's the wine opener, Ted? Come on, Ted. Where's the wine opener? And here he comes puts the his, Nick Cage. And he puts his hand down. You know where it's like, going from here. And Jason just stabs the heck out of his hand with that. I think he even says corkscrew. Like, where's corkscrew? the corkscrew? Yeah, corkscrew. And then Jason just stabs it right into his hand. Ah! And then he, like, is it? does he cut it? You just, like, hit my hand, don't you, Lil? Yeah, it's I just been like... liked getting back to that. Like, do you remember when it's... Yeah, so his hand's yeah. impaled on the table, yeah. and then, like, and he's Christopher Glover looks up, and then he gets, like, a meat cleaver through the middle through of the his face. cleaver or something to the face. Yeah, yeah, it was a cleaver through the face. So, yeah. And that's the end of Crispin Glover. Um, I think everyone else is dead at this point. No, not not Teddy. Teddy dies Oh, next. Teddy dies. I, I, I explained that, though. Like, he turned, when, the, when the film reel ends, he goes up and stands in front of the screen, totally forgetting about his buddy with the wine. And then he gets uh, stabbed through the neck. Again, uh, uh, yep. Jason is playing this perfect. Through the movie screen. Through the movie screen. So Jason kind of has like some kind of sonar that lets him know, like, hey, he's right there. Okay. Not now. He's, not now. Not now. Now. He's got it all perfectly yeah. planned. I like to imagine he has a little notebook. And it's the shadow, too, right? Yeah. You only see it by shadow. And, and if anybody yeah. goes off, like, a little bit, he's like, that's it. I'm leaving. And yeah. then the massacre mm. ends. So... I think no. I think he's a good improviser. Like that, the whole thing in the in the in the shower. I'm pretty sure that was just him being like, I'm just gonna walk by and get this like you know like uh, toothpick or something to stab someone in the eye with. And then he just heard the guy's like horrible stand up comedy routine. And was like, oh, not on my watch, pal. This ain't gonna any further. And let's not forget about the part where like after like Teddy gets killed, there it cuts to a shot of like the stag film reel running out. The final stag film reel running out. Mm-hmm. It was all very perfectly, meticulously yeah. planned. Yeah. And then Jason makes his big mistake. He goes after Tommy Jarvis, a.k.a. Corey Feldman. So first of all, so uh, the older sister knows something's up. Uh, the woodsman knows that something's up, too, because he returns to his tent and sees that his map is shredded and his rifle is all bent up and broken. Again, I think this uh, exact same thing happened in the remake. I believe so. No, I don't think that happened. You've seen it more he, than once, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I own it. It's here. We're watching it right now. But the backpack um, uh, brother yeah, was the a part brother, of the, yeah. yeah, it was a part of the remake, yeah. Oh, we're going on with the alliteration theme here. Backpack brother. Backpack brother. That should that's be like, the name of our uh, our new band. Backpack, backpack brother. brothers, yeah. Our No, our no Way Songs band. Songs camping, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Like Rick Moranis, have you heard his tunes about camping and stuff? Yeah, he's a country singer now. It's actually yeah. quite good. Um. So anyways. Unlike Steve Martin. Yeah. His stuff is quite good. I love his King Tut. Oh, what? From back in the day? I'm talking about his modern banjo no, no, but he, bullshit. He actually... <laughs> that's, our, that's, that's our band name, Modern Banjo Bullshit. More alliteration, banjo bullshit. No, no. He's, he, did a, he did a banjo cover of King Tut, and it's awesome. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Jeez, you and your like anger kit at Steve Martin for playing a banjo. Banjo Fuck is awesome. That guy. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh my god. <laughs> this podcast is just falling all apart. Um, so, next. Um, the Woodsman First and the Randy sister. Randy Bachman, now Steve Martin. The, <laughs> They're both on my shit list. <laughs> so... Are we good? Are we good? Can I, can I, I'm, I'm good. Can I go? Can I go? I don't know. I can't speak for Kit. <laughs> Still fuming about Steve Martin over here. <laughs> so... The woodsman and the sister team up to, and they realize, hey, 
Jason's close by. They go to the teen. They tell Tommy, hey, stay inside, lock the doors. They go to the teen's house. Holy crap, there's dead teens everywhere that they see. They decide, hey, let's check out the basement because what could possibly be down there? And again, the dead teens are posi- like they're yeah. not how they died. No, Jason they actually went back, took the bodies. Made a little diorama Like the little artiste that he is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to sit this one up here right in the mm-hmm. doorway. And I'm going to do this over here. There's no door here, so let me put a body here. Yeah, well, maybe maybe the doctor just like was like was kind of British when he like diagnosed Jason and like said like no no he's artistic not autistic. <laughs> Hi oh bad joke. Um, going to hell for that one. So then they go down to the basement where the woodsman uh, like kind of walks down and then starts walking up and he's like oh crap my and like even the girls like what are you doing in the basement? This is horrible. There's all these dead people. Let's get out of here. So he starts walking up and she's got the machete. And his foot goes through the floor, and he's like, oh, crap, my foot went through the floor. And then he pulls it out, and he's like, hey, I heard something down there. Let me go back down, and it's Jason, and he's got a little garden trowel, and he just murders the heck out of the yeah, woodsman. Yeah, he, he just goes to town with this, yeah, like, like, little, little garden, garden trowel. Yeah, just like, just... <laughs> like, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Like, he, he totally, like, the woodsman, like, is so much buildup. Yes. So much buildup for this woodsman, and he just dies in, like, 20 seconds, and the girl's like, oh, crap. And then she runs out, but then for some reason she just goes back just to see what's going on. Jason reaches up through the hole in the stairs, grabs her leg, and then she just starts cutting him with the machete. Like, he, she knows there's only one way out of this scenario, and that's if I cut the heck out of Jason. Runs back across the, uh, the, the, the yards to her cabin, says, hey, Tommy, oh my god, blah, 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 all this murder and death and man, chaos. Um, uh, Jason then, um... Burson throws the dead body of the woodsman through the window, comes in, she hits him with a hammer multiple times in a head. He grabs Corey. He grabs Corey. He grabs Corey. Sorry, through the window. Yeah. He grabs Corey through the window, and then he she starts smashing him in the head with a... a, What's up, Kit? You checking sports scores again? No, I'm I'm checking uh, trivia. There's some juicy stuff. I know. I can't wait to get to it. That's why I'm trying to talk as fast as possible. (laughs) Um, Go for it. So... Um, he bursts through the window, puts his arms around Corey Feldman, then she starts smashing him in the head with a hammer, and then she gets the, the right idea, hey, this hammer has a uh, sharp end to it, and she stabs him in the neck, which causes Jason to fall off. Then they run upstairs to, he. then he just walks right through the front door, just bursts it like there's no tomorrow. Uh, they run up to uh, Tommy's room, they pull, pull a, uh, a bookshelf in front of it, Jason smashes through that. Then uh, Trish smashes a still-plugged-in TV into his head, and we all thought, man, this would be so many great puns for Tune In Next Week. Your TV show is canceled. Previously on Friday the 13th Part 4. <laughs> or same bat time, same bat channel. I don't know. We're running out of things, things to say. Then they sneak out. Oh, God, Jason's still alive. Um, and then basically she lures him out of the house to back across the street to the other house for some reason. She jumps out of a window. Uh, he thinks in she's slow-mo. in slow mo. It's pretty, pretty darn brutal. Uh, he thinks she's dead. She gets up. It's like a reverse Michael Myers. She runs mm-hmm. back across to Tommy Jarvis, where Tommy Jarvis, trademark, AKA, trademark, aka um, Corey Feldman, has seen a photo of young or an artist rendering, sorry, of young Jason, and decides that uh, hey, I'm going to shave my head just like his. Maybe use a little psychological war- warfare, psych him out a little bit. And it works. It works like a charm. Yeah, it works to the point where uh, it distracts him enough so that the sister can like stab him in the face with a machete. Well, they first knock oh, his mask, the mask off, off and, and she's horrified like, by what she sees. By his terrifying visage. Um, and then... Uh, just, just to get to a little uh, trivia mm-hmm, ahead yes. of time, apparently Tom Savini wasn't so keen on working on the film until he learned that he could... Um, 
kill Jason off. Represent the character he had first kind of engineered. Right. Aging. Like, re- yeah, well, represent that's the because aging in, yeah, Friday the 13th Part uh, 2 and 3, they brought in different special effects artists because they just thought, like, hey, these are just workmanlike films, and we don't need a very specific special effects artist to work on it. So in Part 2, he's got long hair and kind of looks like this deranged hillbilly. And in Part 3, he just kind of has a bald, messed up face. Um, so this part, this part four clearly has continuity with the very first appearance of Jason at the end of Friday the 13th, part one. Corey Feldman, uh, or Trish, gets him in the face with a machete. Then he falls down in a very gruesome manner, and he conti- he falls machete down. So the handle of the machete hits the ground, and then his face continues to plow right through the machete like right into, into his brain. His brain. Yeah. Uh, sister and brother hug, but then... Corey Feldman realizes, hey, he might not totally be dead. His hands were moving. His fingers were moving. Can you say that again? His fingers were moving. Right. And then Corey Feldman grabs the machete and then just goes to town on his corpse. Fade to White, which is a callback to the very first Friday the 13th film, which was known for its fades to white as a um, auteur statement from Sean S. Cunningham. And then uh, we cut to a hospital where many of the Friday the 13th films end where it's like, but unlike other films where they're like, well, we never found a body, or we never found the boy, or we don't believe you. They're like, yeah, no, Jason's dead. You killed him. Good work, guys. It's um, over. It's over. Good work. Exactly. And so then Corey Feldman comes in. He hugs his sister, and we're like, oh, all's right with the world. But they pull a Simpsons shifty-eyed dog technique. He opens up his eyes, stares at the camera, fade to white, and credits. And we're out of Friday the 13th Part 4. That, yeah, it was an exciting ending. You're like, is Corey Feldman going to grow up to be a psychopath? Spoilers. And of course, as we know from Corey Feldman and his angels, he does. Yeah, he's kind of messed up. <laughs> For us, it's a brand new song. What's this song about? Uh, the song is about, it's called What Up With Youth. And it's about what's up with the youth in America today, gang violence, drugs, and that kind of thing, trying to make the world a better place. Hey, I could relate to that for sure. Let me tell you something, man. I'm not kidding. I really think that's good for the youth, you know? You wrote this yourself? Yeah. You wrote it yourself? Wrote it and produced it, yeah. Let's hear for Corey right now with the song. Let's all start dancing, baby. Go ahead, Corey. There is a lot of very juicy trivia about this film because it is a very juicy film. Do you want to start it off, Kit? Well, here's here's a funny one. Um, due to the production's low budget, several actors had to perform uncomfortable or dangerous stunts themselves, including Judy Aronson, who I think plays Sarah. Uh, yes. 
Uh, she was required to remain submerged in a lake in near freezing temperatures. Sorry, that was Samantha. Samantha, Samantha okay. Yep. And Peter Barton, who was actually slammed into the shower wall when Jason attacks him. <laughs> Ted White, who sounds like the best man ever, um, who portrays Jason, advocated for several of the actors requesting that Barton be allowed to use a crash pad and threatening to quit when director Joseph Zito refused to allow Aronson to get out of the lake between takes. Mm-hmm. White and Zito ultimately developed a combative relationship on set, which resulted in White, who plays Jason, demanding his name be removed from the credits, calling yep. the film a piece of shit. Yeah, Ted White <laughs> is not a fan of this. Like he, he, he was uh, he was Jason. Apparently, in the tradition of uh, Friday the Thirteenth movies, he's a stuntman. They always usually yep. hire a stuntman for this, and he had done stunts for like John Wayne and like uh, Clark Gable and and uh, actors like that. He was like an old hand as a stuntman. Yeah, it was a couple more. Um, it was two more. Um, it wasn't part five. It was in part six when they hired C.J. Graham, and C.J. Graham was the first guy. Where they're like, look, this stuntman, he's not bringing anything to it. And especially in part six, when he's supposed to be zombified, slow-moving Jason, there's like, this stuntman just isn't moving right. And they found this guy, CJ Graham, like working as like a bouncer in a bar. I like him because his last name is my first name. And um, he actually got this like purposeful movement down where it's like he's not just doing a workman thing. Although I did like, I really like the nastiness of Ted White's portrayal of Jason in this film because it's very workman-like. It's also very brutal. It's very much like this is a a... Uh, deranged psychotic person who will take you out um, I know like even after he got like you know clipped in the neck with the hammer you know, the other side like you just mentioned he like a second later he just enters the door all like okay where the fuck are you you know <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a mean mf'er in this film um so, uh, at around one hour and 18 minutes into the film, Corey Feldman was legitimately terrified during the window shot, which is when we said that... This is, this is a great bit of trivia. Yeah. So, as, series per, as per series tradition, Jason was played by another stuntman, this time Ted White, a seasoned veteran of 40 years who had doubled for Clark Gable and John Wayne. He did not like Feldman. <laughs> this is great. Calling him the meanest goddamn little kid he'd ever dealt with. When it came time to film the infamous scene near the end when Jason reaches through a broken window to pull Tommy out of a house, White got to act out his frustration. Holy crap. They had worked out the timing of when White would grab Feldman beforehand, but during Fel- but during filming, White waited a couple of beats to the point that Feldman assumed Feldman assumed that the stunt had gone wrong. So just as he let his guard down, White grabbed him exactly as you see in the film, <laughs> meaning Feldman's screams of horror were completely authentic. So that being said, as much as Ted White hated playing Jason and thought it was a mean, nasty little film, he also got some weird, sick pleasure out of this film by terrorizing... I bet po- Corey was a little shithead, I gotta oh, say. For sure. Well, I, according, totally according to Ted White, Corey Feldman maintained a bratty attitude on set. Feldman maintains mm-hmm. this was due to poor treatment from the director, Joseph Zito, and that during the filming of the scene in which he attacks Jason with a machete at the very end, yep. he was pretending that the sandbags he struck were Zito. <laughs> oh, he struck sandbags? Well, yeah, he didn't struck like an actual human. Like when he's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just to clear up the time frame here, this is the first film in the series to take place in the year it was released. According to Pamela Voorhees' grave in the movie, Friday the 13th, which was released in 1980, takes place in 1979. Friday the 13th Part 2 in 1981 takes place five years after the original, which would be 1984. Um, And Friday the 13th Part 3 takes place the day after Part 2, and so forth. This film takes place the day after Part 3. Um, 
so also back to the uh, talking about the uh, the uh, aforementioned Judy Aronson uh, skinny dipping scene, which took place in December. She spent so much time in the water during the filming of her death scene that she actually developed hypothermia. Yeah, that's pretty pretty rough. That, that this this director does sound like a jerk. Joseph Zito is a like he is a exploitation like throwback. Like his film, The Prowler, is I've a never nasty seen the Prowler. movie. It's, it's a nasty, it's nasty movie. Authenticity of things, right? I don't know if authenticity is correct because this film was supposed to take place during the summer and they That's shot it in true, December. Actually, I, yeah. I, yeah, and I don't think that you have to abuse your your cast to achieve authenticity. I no. don't think that's necessary. Hmm. Hitchcock obviously believed it, but mm-hmm. um, interestingly enough, Ted White is actually the tallest actor to play Jason at six foot four. Oh. He does tower over people in this film. We should also point out that the character of Ted was played by Lawrence Monsoon. Monason, sorry, not Monsoon. And uh, the scene where he's watching, because we all all talk about how he really intensely watches that turn-of-the-century erotic film. And it turns out he was actually legitimately smoking pot, which probably inform, informs his performance of why he's just kind of sitting there giggling the whole time. Oh, yeah, he apparently he went method, and he actually... Mm-hmm tried to smoke pot for that scene and instead of helping him get into character the pot mostly rendered uh monison incapable of concentrating on his scene as he became paranoid <laughs> and freaked out on set i i can imagine uh the the hedgecock <laughs> connection so is kimberly beck who did that who did uh who's kimberly beck in this film yeah probably the mom i'm guessing if, if she worked you, with Hitchcock. Are you checking that quickly? Or? Uh, I will check it very right, quickly. I see, I see your thumbs moving furiously over that phone. I oh, know. Kimberly Beck pay, played Trish, the uh, the eldest oh, okay, uh, okay. daughter. So she is the only Friday the 13th... She is the only Friday the 13th actress that appeared in an Alfred Hitchcock film. She worked on Marnie. Exactly 20 years prior to this, she plays the little girl that Marnie's mother babysits. Oh, oh no. The, uh, the Crispin Glover trivia on this one is pretty juicy. I don't mm-hmm. know if... Uh, it's just the plenty of other Crispin was so crazy stories from the oh, set. Go on, go for it. I want to hear these. There are plenty of other. Can you point Crispin the mic at, was, mic at your face while you're talking, please? There are plenty of other Crispin was so crazy stories from the sets, such as the time he forced a shutdown in filming until his toy yellow submarine could be retrieved from the lake, or when he declined a request to rehearse by observing, "You know, I'm in a rain mood. I'm not going <laughs> to rehearse now. Shine on, you rain mood having crazy diamond." I love the editors of IMDb got a little uh, snarky Mm -hmm. there. So, um, (laughs) so how do I want to put this? Okay. So Joseph Zito had previously directed The Prowler, which we had mentioned quite a bit during this film, but they wanted him to both direct and write Friday the 13th Part 4. He said, but I'm not a writer, to which they said, here's a contract paying you double to write and direct. (laughs) And then he responded, yeah, I'm totally a writer. So Zito used the extra salary to hire Barney Cohen to somewhat secretly write the script. Their process entailed Zito taking nightly one-hour phone calls with Phil Scarelli to discuss the story and script for final chapter. The next day, Zito would meet with Cohen in an apartment in New York City in secret to relay what notes and ideas Scarelli had offered, which they would then turn into a new script into new script pages to be sent later that day to Scarelli in Boston and to be discussed again over the phone that night. Joseph Zito was he, yeah he he was a uh, a rough and tumble character I gotta say. Uh, let's just dig into Joseph Zito's filmography before we uh, we call this one uh, a night. This has been a great podcast by the way. I've enjoyed. Oh, it quite I love a bit. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he directed Missing in Action. Uh, he only directed. Uh, no, sorry, that's producing. For directing, he's directed ten things. 
He directed Abduction in 1975, which looks pretty freaking brutal. He directed Blood Rage. No, not that Blood Rage. Uh, a different Blood Rage from 1980. By the way, Blood Rage from 1987. Um amazing film this is the the american thanksgiving slasher yeah. with um with uh with the two Louis twins Lasser. yes from mary hartman mary hartman which we watched at my one of the halloween movie nights back in 2016 he directed blood rage he directed the Pla- the prowler in 1981 and then 1984 was his next film friday the 13th part four then from that of course he was hired on by those wonderful geniuses at canon films tried to missing in action part one which is really part two don't ask um Missing in Action Part 2 was sold as the prequel. Yeah. So they shot them both. They shot the second one first, but then released the second one first. Sorry. They shot the se- they shot Part 2 first, and then shot they what they thought. First? No, they released Part 2. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They shot okay. them both back to back. They shot them back so, to back, but then after but they, they were released they were like, in reverse well, order. Well, hey, why do we want to release this depressing movie set in Vietnam? Let's set the one where he goes back and rescues everyone first, and then we get the prequel. So Missing in Action 2 is called The Beginning. He then directed Invasion USA, starring also starring Chuck Norris. And Invasion USA is amazing because it's about a bunch of terrorists coming to America, jumping into the backs of um, cube vans, and then spreading out across the United States to cause random chaos and havoc. And Chuck Norris, he kind of becomes a one-man quip machine in this movie, quips. And his quip is, it's time to die. So every scenario... It's time to die. He, he re- reuses that tagline for each. Yeah. It's time to die, kid. Um, not to you. He also directed... Lily might want to know about this. <laughs> Lily just adopted a terrified expression when you said that. Um, he directed Alice Cooper. He's back, the man behind the mask. So, guys, final thoughts on Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. Phil, go. It's a lot of fun. By the way, who hasn't seen this film before? Kid hasn't seen it. Lil, have you seen it? Yeah. You've seen it. Okay. So, Phil, a lot of fun? A lot of fun. Uh, gruesome, sleazy. I enjoyed every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, I hadn't seen this film before, but it seems to me that this, from what I've seen, is the most pure Friday the 13th film. It's got... Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the origin baggage or anything like need. that. yeah. It doesn't. Uh, even the second one, you might say that's a little bit more pure. But he's wearing a he's wearing a I say potato the, sack. The second one is a, is a pure slasher film, yeah. which is the faceless killer. Whereas this film is a is pure Friday the Thirteenth. Pure film. Jason you film. You don't need. It's the whole kind of lineup to it, right? The whole menace behind it. You don't need a, a, a pre well. But here's the thing, they do have an origin story, but it's just handled so well that you don't realize... Yeah, for sure. You don't, you don't realize it's someone telling you this is the origin that you're watching. Because well, it's told We get out. that in the cold open. We get that in the uh, previously on. Yeah, we get that. But then also, like, of him as a little boy as well. Like, that's, like, newspaper flashbacks. That's how, or that's how we see yeah. it. So it's, it's, you're not... It's not a, did you know Jason was killed in this time? It, not beating you over the head with it. We get that in part nine, I'm pretty sure. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. the sheriff and all of that. Yeah, part nine was just a slog. But yeah, keep going, Kit. You're saying this might be the first I, pure, I think, I think most this, pure well, Friday the 13th. From, I haven't seen most of them. I've only seen about two or three or four of them. So you've seen part one, you've seen this film, you've seen part one, I've seen, seen part, one, part, I've seen part two, I've seen part nine, and I've seen this film. That's it. So you haven't seen six or seven or eight? I've not seen six oh. or seven or eight. I have not seen three. But to me, this is the purest one because, as you pointed out, he's mm. not a sap- supernatural creature in this one. No. He's a he's a flesh and blood human being. But he's he's a kind bit, of like 
I don't know, like a Superman type of person. Yeah, he, because he's, it's, he's, he's, he's big and strong, yeah. They think he's dead, for crying out loud. They bring him to the morgue, mm-hmm. but apparently he was not dead. Somehow he fooled the coroners. Somehow he was just knocked unconscious and he woke up in a morgue. Yeah, like yeah, a whole Romeo and Juliet where his heart was barely beating mm-hmm. or something, I guess. Um, but no, just uh, he goes after them one by one. He's wearing the hockey mask. Yeah. This just seems like the quintessential perfect Friday the 13th movie. Oh, it's got Crispin Glover. And it's got Crispin Glover. And it's got Corey Feldman. If, if Stranger Things 3 happens, they'll probably just ape this movie. <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> and Lillian, what are your final thoughts on Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter? Um, I don't really know what to add. You guys pretty much summed it up. It was a good time, and it was well done. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's sleazy, cool. though. Like, Phil had it right. This is a sleazy but film. But the sleazier film is part five, though. Okay. But this is pretty sleazy. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, like, the skinny dipping scene is like, that's, this is, none of this But it was necessary. also kind of innocent, too, where it was just sort of like, because at first they're just like, how would you get in the water? And Crispin Glover's like, no, no, we're not doing that. It's probably the, one of the least sleazier ones, I would say. All right. Yeah. There's a, there's a little trivia tidbit about how Corey Feldman was shielded from most of the nudity. Of course he was. With clever editing, and mm-hmm. the actresses took him out trick-or-treating on one of the nights mm-hmm. where, where nudity had to be filmed. But mm-hmm. uh, he did get, <laughs> according to Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. he did get to see someone's boobs. Probably in that. Oh no, that's no. Well, because that's the, they were in the same when frame. When one of the actresses bends over to pet Gordon the dog, she's wearing a low cut top, and he could, uh, he could see right over top. So he was just a perv. That wasn't yes. actually on screen. Corey, Corey at Feldman all. was yes. just a perv. Corey Feldman just a perv. Twenty seventeen. Uh, Everybody's just looking. What? There's a dog and it's being pet. <laughs> I, well, all children his age are pretty much pervs anyway. So it's all good. And now it's time for my final thought. <laughs> so, um, I forgot how much fun this one was. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Um, as I said, I'm a big fan of the Friday the 13th series. I, uh, I, I, I joke that my favorite film is parts 6, 2, 3, 7, uh, 4, you know, 8. Does this ever change or is it uh, written in stone? This No, I, I'm also... Is it fluid? It's, it's, is it like... It's a tie, by the way, up between all these films. But I... Yeah, I, I I like this film a lot. I think there's just so many things. The thing about the Friday the 13th, 13th films that made them stand out against the other films is that there's little nuggets in all of them. Like you never like none of the characters in this are bland. Like we every single character in this is a character that we know. We might not know their names. They're two-dimensional characters. They're two-dimensional, but they've got but they've got a little just a little something to them to make them feel even the twins were different like one girl was like actively trying to go after other people's boyfriends hey don't look at me like that you've, kid. you've seen this film more than i because i didn't know the other girl was just kind of like i'm gonna go home which is how the the other twin dies that she's gonna ride home on her bike but then jason just you know killed her very quickly through out a window through or window. something um so and like you've got characters like Corey feldman and the mom and the older sister and the woodsman and but the Chris mom is Glover. just a mom character but the mom is also like, no, you can hang out with those yeah, kids. So you can tell she's worried about Corey and like. Well, him. as a mom, she's as a mom would be, she's a time. mom Lock character. Lock the door, do this, do that, and he's again, this like, is all We're mom country, character stuff. Mom. But she's divorced. That's the other thing too. Oh, if you remember that layers. earlier, if you remember that earlier scene where, where Trish was saying, "Oh, I spoke to Dad," and she was like, "Oh, how is he doing?" And she was saying like, "Oh, he's doing this. He's lonely. I should go out and visit him." And she's like, "You know what? You should go out and visit your father and spend some time with him." And then she says. And he asked about how you were doing, and the mom's eyes kind of perked up. And even the, the even Trish kind of said like they're separated, they're not divorced, they're separated, 
but there might be a possibility that they'll get back together. So that's a little that's a little thing to hang your hat on there, kid. Although they won't get back together because she died. Dun, 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 dun. It's an off-screen death. It's or a, assuming it is a death. Friday the 13th, part 12, the revenge of Jarvis's mom. Not a bird. So... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's like, I, I like to say that slasher films are like jazz music. It's all... <laughs> You're the only one who says that. It's all, varia- <laughs> it's all variations on the same theme, but it's a little idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies and personal touches that make them different. So, like, this is what... So, like, The Majorettes starts off as a slasher film and becomes something else, and it's nowhere near as good as this film, but they're clearly trying to ape it, but it's clearly them not getting what makes a slasher film enjoyable or different. And, like, even as even though, like, there are 11 of these films, they are all different. You're right. Part 2 is much more of a hillbilly horror film than Part 3. Part 3 is much more of a, uh, like, because they, they involve a biker gang. They involve all these other elements, and it's very much a... Uh, a 3D extravaganza. And then part four is a mean little movie that's just trying to get to the end. An extrava what? Extravaganza. Extravaganza. Ganza. Yes, I pronounce it with a little joie de vie. (laughs) Um, And uh, and then part part five is just a weird sleazy mess hired by, like they hired a former pornographic film director, a former pornographic filmmaker to uh, to make part five. It's a new beginning. A new beginning. And, but then they, they realize how bad that was and then go a totally different route with part six, it's which has... a happy ending. <laughs> oh, my God, Lillian. <laughs> Lillian, the Lillian MVP for the of our podcast. Yes. Lillian for the win. Um, <laughs> and then part six is like they have homages to James Bond and Frankenstein and they have an Alice Cooper soundtrack and it's a bit more pop, it's a bit more fun, it's a bit more different. Part seven introduces a psycho, like a psychopath, psychopathic, a uh, psychic girl who has like telekinesis. So it's like Jason versus Carrie. Part eight. He goes to Manhattan. At the end of the movie. So they're going to exercise the demon or? We don't know. Part part nine is kind of about that. Yeah, part nine, he could have taken Berlin after he took Manhattan. Part nine sucks. And part I made a Leonard Cohen reference. Yeah. Well, but part nine, the the concept where he's body switching yeah. is at least new to the series. I know it's different and new and yeah. something weird. And then all of a sudden, in part ten, he goes to space. Because you're gonna what else? Because he's gonna do. He's killer one on Earth. And then in part eleven, aka the remake, he's back to like being a woodsman again. Like he's he's not a zombified Jason. He's very much a human being. It's a return to form. Yes. And now, for whatever the future brings for Friday the Thirteenth. I only hope for the best. They had that really great script from a few years ago, which never got produced. Apparently, it's a big rights uh, mess right now of like who owns what because there's been so many people involved in the evolution of these films. Because yeah, unlike part, unlike Friday the Thirteenth, unlike some Nightmare other slasher series, Nightmare on Elm Street, which you identify from, with yeah. Wes Craven, or uh, Halloween, which you identify with John, John Carpenter. There's no set blueprint that right. these films were, like. It was all subtle refinement because part one it was his mother, part two it was a, a hillbilly. Like potato sack. Well, they're also copying Halloween a little bit. Part three, I think they're they're more copying uh, Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. If you've never seen, never heard of that before. When you watch uh, part Friday Thirteenth, Part One and Two, there was a lot of stuff lifted from Bay of Blood, aka my favorite my favorite title for that film because it's had a bunch of them is Twitch of the Death Nerve. Um, (laughs) Great title. Um, So you get you get so much more with. uh, Is that your little? We gotta go, Kit. No, it's my. I gotta go pee. Yeah, I'm okay. trying to wait for the end of the podcast. Okay, we'll to do we'll that. be there soon. We'll be there soon. I'm, try, I'm trying to get a good wrap up. And 
wherever it goes next, I hope it continues good because I think right now we need a slasher film. We need because there's something <laughs> we need. The we world need needs slasher films. What the world needs with all we of need the mass. Less, the world no, needs no, now. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't let me finish. What I was gonna say. We need horror on the screen, not in our lives. All right. All right. All right. All right. There we go. So with that being said, ready to go, Bernie Sanders. I have been Graham. I've been Phil. I have been Kit. And I'm Lillian. <laughs> <laughs>